0: As uh, many of you guys know, I'm the intern here this uh, this summer, and so I've been doing a lot of things, helping James out, and part of the internship is I'm going to preach three times through the summer, and so now that uh, we kind of waited, it's going to be three times in the back half of the summer. But And so we're going to do a three-part series on the gospel, and that's what we're starting today. And so we saw the verse going to be Romans 116. And um, just in case you guys are wondering, I do not live under a rock. I understand what happened on Friday with the Supreme Court and I did think and I did pray about uh, changing the message in light of that as many pastors and many of people that were speaking in churches all across this country probably did and we could have got up here and we could have gone to Genesis 2 and we could have and we could have hammered on on what marriage really is and who defines it and we could have ranted up here about how the government can't change that and we could have maybe just talked about how much this country is just going away and how much we've, we just need to get back to our roots and we get, need to get back to Jesus. And we could have gone up here and we could have thrown a giant pity party for ourselves in the church. And we could have even maybe tried to, as maybe a few churches are doing, I mean, talk about how we need maybe like some sort of political like counter-revolution. And We could have gotten up here. We could have done any of those things. But, I mean, providentially, we're already talking about the gospel today, and so I didn't change the sermon for this morning because the court's ruling doesn't change the message. It doesn't change the mission for the church to make disciples into all nations, but more importantly for this series, it doesn't change the message that we preach. And so the gospel is what this country ultimately needs, not a better definition of marriage and not stronger right-wing conservative, quasi-Christian movements, it needs the gospel, and that didn't change on Friday, and so that's why the sermon hasn't changed. So we're going to be talking about the gospel, but before we can fully define what it is, the gospel is the essential claim of Christianity, and the gospel in its most simplistic form is that Jesus died to save people from their sins. And if you want to, in a verse other than the one we're going to be talking about, it Go to Philippians 2, and God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we can have the righteousness of God. That's it. That's the gospel. And so we did it in two minutes, but we're going to continue to do it over three weeks. And so Today we're going to spend the time from Romans 1 defining what the gospel is. And then the next couple times we preach, we'll look at how the gospel affects our lives in different areas. And as some of you might be thinking today that I know the gospel, you just define the gospel in one sentence. I don't need to know what I don't need any more of the gospel. And while the gospel is some of the basics of Christianity, it's often repeated in the New Testament because, I mean, we forget. We need to be reminded of the basics because we're very forgetful people. And the gospel is the foundation of Christianity, and so we have to make sure that we have a secure foundation or the entire structure or the entire, I mean, foundation of our faith will collapse if the foundation itself isn't secure, and as we see in Paul in the um, in the verse we're reading today from Romans, we'll see that as the gospel causes us to clash with culture, and it will it does that, and it will continue to do that. That the gospel or the foundation of Christianity is an offensive message because it calls sin sin, and it calls people sinners, and people don't like that when you call them sinners. And so it'll cause us to clash with culture, and we'll face opposition and back, and backlash and hostility and. Some people will become ashamed of the gospel through all that. And that is part of what's happening with Paul. People were saying that Paul's message was offensive to Jews and that he should change it. And he's preaching to the Roman church. And so the church is obviously located in Rome. And that was the heart of the pagan empire that they were living in. And so he knew that this church in this time and the American church in this time and many churches all over the world will continue to face opposition for what they believe, and he didn't want them, he didn't want that opposition to ever cause them to be ashamed of what they believe, and so we'll read, since it's just one verse, we'll read it again, and so Romans 1 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, and then to the Gentile, so Paul in this verse, it has two kind of two themes, he wants to show why he, the Roman church, and us today, as it still applies, should never be ashamed of the gospel. And But to do that, he provides a full definition. Paul doesn't kind of define the gospel and then give reasons for why you should not be ashamed of it. The reason you should not be ashamed of it is found in the definition of the gospel itself, in what it is. And so Paul, in this verse, and we'll look at he gives three essential kind of parts to the gospel, and those three parts are the same reasons that he's not ashamed of it. And so first... We see that the gospel is the power of God. That's what Paul leads off with. And so the gospel contains the same power that created the universe out of nothing, that healed the sick, caused the blind to see, raised the dead to life, and cast out demons. And so the message that we proclaim to the world is infinitely powerful. And and people are never ashamed of powerful things, but weak ones. People are ashamed of weak things because they can't accomplish much. And this can easily be seen in sports, and you can just take the Cowboys. Many people in this room here are Cowboys fans. And and right now, people are proud to be Cowboys fans because last year they, they went to the playoffs. They won a playoff game. They were one questionable catch away from maybe going on in the playoffs. But, I mean, they accomplished much in the season, so no one now is ashamed to be a Cowboys fan. But And no one was ashamed to be a Cowboys fan when they were winning Super Bowls all throughout the 90s. But for a while in there... When the Cowboys had, like, Quincy Carter and a bunch of other bums as quarterbacks and they couldn't do anything, you you would still watch games, maybe, but you would spend maybe the entire NFL season just praying that no one asked you what team you liked because you didn't want to have to tell them that you liked the Cowboys. Because power gives us confidence, and confidence expels shame. And so Christians should never be ashamed of the gospel because it will never be lacking in power. And if we're ashamed of the gospel, it will cause us to alter it instead of proclaim it. And you can see this in many churches today. Churches that did, that have caved on essential issues of the faith. Churches that refuse to preach the gospel because they're afraid of i don't I mean getting sued or they're afraid of people getting mad and leaving. And those people are trying to add their own power. They're trying to take parts of the gospel, parts of Christianity, and they're trying to bring their own power to it and they think it's going to be more effective than if you just preach the message as God give it, has given it to us. But the gospel, some people treat the gospel as like a screwdriver or something. It's like a tool that God has given us. But then when you go to use it, you have to supply all the power to it. And those are the people that end up changing the gospel. And they try to do all these other things. They bring flashy lights. They, they don't really preach the Bible when they, when what do they do on Sunday mornings, And those people, they think that that's going to be more effective, but the problem is the gospel isn't a screwdriver. It's not just something God gives us, and he says, here, you make it work, you bring the power. The gospel is more like a power drill. And if you guys want to press the analogy, it's the power source too. I mean, God gives it, and it has everything that it needs bound up in and of itself, and all you have to do is preach it. All you have to do is proclaim it. All you have to do is pull the trigger, and it takes over. It has all the power for us. And there's nothing that you can do to make the gospel more powerful and there's nothing that you can take away from the gospel to make it more palatable to the culture around us the gospel as is is perfect and that should bring us comfort because the gospel doesn't need to be changed no matter what anyone else says around us and that should bring great comfort to us because we don't have to try to be flashy speakers we don't have to try to come up with eloquent speech when we just lead people when we're preaching the gospel to people and either on Sunday mornings or day-to-day lives. You just have to use it the way God has given it to us. And so we see first from this verse that the gospel is the power of God. But the gospel isn't random or uncontrolled power. It's power for a very specific purpose, which leads us to the second point, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. No one would be ashamed of giving a sick person medicine And yet the gospel is the remedy for sin. As Christians, we believe that the world is sick, and it's a sin problem. And what the message that we proclaim, the message that we preach tells people is that there's nothing they can do about their problem on their own. Instead of looking to themselves, or instead of looking to the church, they have to look to Jesus for salvation. And this brings great news for many people in the world that are hurting and people that are struggling. Because instead of telling people that have been disappointed by growing up without a father or a mother or a broken family, they don't have to look to a family structure to support, they can look to Jesus. You can tell people in the world that they don't have to find security and a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they can look to Jesus. You can tell people in the world that they don't have to attempt to find satisfaction and manufacture some sort of purpose or success in life through any number of things like money, drugs, sex, power, greed, or any other form of idolatry or vice that people find themselves in. They don't have to find or manufacture satisfaction in those things. They can look to Jesus. And the world needs to hear and understand that because they're searching for something. As uh, one of the church fathers, Augustine, used to say, every person has a God-shaped hole inside of them. And then in his famous book, The Confessions, which is like his conversion story, he says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you speaking to God, and so, I mean, if you truly believe that, if you truly believe that the only thing that people, that all people are looking for satisfaction, they're looking for purpose, and the only way that they can find it is Jesus, and we got to tell them that, because they're looking for it in all the wrong places, and they don't know. They desperately seek it, but they don't know where they can find it, and they need to understand that the gospel will never disappoint them, that if it's a true church, and I mean, Christians and individual churches may let them down. But in the grand scheme of things, the gospel will never let people down because they're not looking to anyone, any human institution, or any individual. They're looking to Jesus and they're looking to no one else. And so, speaking about salvation and where people look for it, um, Charles Spurgeon once said, You say I do not repent enough, but that is looking to yourself. You say I do not believe enough, that is looking to yourself. I am too unworthy that is looking to yourself. I cannot discover, says another, that I have any righteousness. It is quite right to say that you have no righteousness, but it is quite wrong to look for any. It is look unto me. God will have you turn your eye off yourself and onto Him. As long as you look to yourself, there is no hope for you. It is not a consideration of what you are, but of what God is and who Christ is that can save you. And so people are looking for salvation, but they don't find it because many people don't look to Jesus because they believe in some sense that righteousness is what qualifies a person to come to Jesus. And so that's why you have people that, like, in their minds they think, I have to clean my life up, I have to kind of, I have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. You have to get your life together before you can come to Jesus. And so people try that, and they try to be as good people as they can, but ultimately it lets them down every time because... What they, understand, that they don't understand is that the problem isn't that they're not trying hard enough or the problem isn't they don't believe the right things. The problem is that they're looking to salvation in all the wrong places. And so righteousness is not what qualifies people to come to Christ, but it's sin. sin is the only qualification that lets you come to Jesus. We kind of talked about this at camp because we sang one of the songs we sang today, Lord, I Need You, we sang at camp, and we were talking, and... What what are some of those pictures you saw when everyone was around together? We were having like an encouragement time, and the leaders got to speak, and um, we said that what's what really I mean ultimately boils down like what separates Christians from not Christians is like in that song the chorus we sang like Lord I need you Oh I need you Every hour I need you You're my one defense My righteousness God I need you It's Christians are people that have gotten to that point where that song has really been their prayer and they've meant it. If you haven't gotten to the point where that's all you need and you believe that Jesus is the only place you have righteousness and he's the only one you need, you're not a Christian. But you have to understand that you don't have to pick yourself up before you come to Jesus. Sin qualifies you to come to Jesus because Jesus died to save sinners, not righteous people. Paul, when he's writing to Timothy, his disciple in the faith, 1 Timothy 1 15, he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And Paul couldn't be more clear there. To come to Jesus, all you have to do is understand that you're a sinner and you can't do it on yourself. You can't do it on your own. Which leads us to the third point that the gospel is not just the power of God and it's not just for salvation. But it's for the salvation of everyone. Paul says it here it's for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel isn't bad news for anyone. The gospel isn't for a specific type of person or for a specific country or a certain race or economic standard. And that's why diversity is such a great sign of a healthy church. Because when you have diversity in the church, it shows the world that what unites us isn't common interest or ge- geography or money, or anything else, but what unites us is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And ultimately one gospel binds all Christians together and nothing else. And so, I know in today's culture and in many other times that Christians are accused of being bigoted or hateful, or that we're intolerant. And sometimes this is true because I mean a lot of stupid things have been done in the name of Jesus. People have attached Jesus' name and then tried to use it to justify all types of things that they've done. And so while sometimes some Christians in some places have probably been bigoted or hateful, they've been intolerant, they've, they've been abusive when they preach the gospel, that this really couldn't be farther from the truth, because there is no message that is less bigoted than the gospel. The gospel is the only truly universal message in the world. First, it starts out that all people are sinners. We can see this in Romans 3, starting at the end of verse 22, and in verse 23. In that, Paul says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it starts out here, Paul puts everyone on an even playing field. He says, none of you are any better than anyone else. None of you have any righteousness by yourself. None of you can look to yourself. None of you can look anywhere but Jesus and so there's bad news for everyone. You're all sinners. But Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul doesn't leave people with bad news without giving them the good news of the gospel because the gospel means good news. And Jesus died to save all sinners. But Jesus died to save all sinners. And so, I mean, I didn't print them all off because there are tons, tons of verses to speak to that. if you want a list of more verses than the few that we're going to read right here, you can uh, see me after, and I had a list of them. But just from a few verses, I mean, we continue as uh, when James gets back, and we continue our series in Luke. Eventually you get to Luke 19.10, which will say, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you're lost, Jesus came to seek and find you. You see, John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Timothy two three through six says this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to come who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people and then one more 1 John two two he is the propitiation ten dollar word that means atoning sacrifice. So Jesus died to save us from our sins. In a sense, it just kind of sums up the gospel. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not just for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And So John lays it out clear. He's writing to Christians and he says Jesus died to save Christians from their sins, but not just for you, but for the sins of the whole world. And some of you might be thinking of verses in your head that talk about Jesus just dying for believers or just dying for the church. And some of you might be objecting, well, Jesus couldn't have died for everyone because there are other verses that say he just died for certain people. And you're right, there are verses that do say that, and we have a couple of them here. Ephesians 5.25 says, talking about marriage, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so Paul in Ephesians to that church is emphasizing that Jesus died for the church. And one more in Hebrews 9.28, it says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so sometimes if you read through the Bible, it might be confusing. And you might be wondering: well, did Jesus die for everyone? Or did he just die? for believers, and there have been faithful Christians on both sides. There have been Christians who believe that Jesus did die for everyone, and there are Christians who read some of the verses that we just did, and they say, well, it can't mean that, because there are verses that say Jesus just died for some people. But, just because there are verses that talk about Jesus dying for certain people, doesn't negate the other verses. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't die for all. I mean, it's possible, and we know how to talk about a subset of a larger group. I mean, we're all humans, we're all people in this room, but we can be divided into gender, race, different things. We can have categories within a larger group, but we're still Harwood Terrace Baptist Church. And so if you affirm that Jesus did die for everyone, you have no problem with any of the verses that emphasize Jesus, maybe in some senses, that Jesus died for the church, or that Jesus died for believers. But you run into serious problems if you try to say that Jesus just died for some people, because then you have to, you have to invent or you have to create some way that all the verses we just read that in those and in those verses all doesn't mean all and people have done that faithful godly men and women christians now and in the past have believed that but there's also another problem if you take that line of thinking because galatians 2:20, paul says i've been crucified with christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But no one would say that Paul emphasizes here that Jesus died for him individually, that it excludes everyone else. And so we can see all through Scripture that Jesus died for everyone, but you can talk about it in specific ways. And if, you, But if you believe that Jesus died for only certain people, not only will you have to come up, with ways that all doesn't mean all, but in a sense, as we'll show here, that you lose some of the power and you lose some of the very things of the gospel that we've already talked about today. The universal nature of the atonement and that Jesus' death was for everyone is vitally important to the gospel itself. And that's why Paul includes it here in his definition because part of the reason that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel is because Paul truly believes that the gospel is for absolutely everyone because Jesus died for absolutely everyone. And so if you affirm that the atonement isn't for everyone, that Jesus didn't die for everyone, you end up sacrificing the power of the gospel because you now have people that the gospel can't save, that the gospel isn't for. The gospel then becomes bad news to some people because you're affirming to them that you are a sinner. You're giving them the bad news, but you have no good news to give them for all the reasons that we've talked about because the only thing they can look to is Jesus. And if they don't have salvation, if they don't have power, if they don't have Jesus' death for them, they have no hope. And we shouldn't tell those people the gospel if that were the case. But the gospel then becomes insincere and you can't tell them. You can't look at someone individually because that might not be true. You have to keep it in broad Like general terms, Jesus died for believers. But that's not the hope that the Gospel gives us, is that Jesus died for some people, and maybe you're in. Now Paul can in Galatians say, no, Jesus died for me. John can say Jesus died for you. And John can say when he first sees Jesus, it's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so thankfully, despite the teaching of some faithful Christians, Paul here in Romans 1 in the Bible in numerous other passages, some of which we read today, affirms that the gospel is for everyone because Jesus died for everyone. But we're not here, don't hear me wrong, that just because Jesus died for everyone, that means everyone is saved. Because no one in here probably is a universalist. No one thinks that all of us are going to be going to heaven just because Jesus died for us. And that's why Paul says salvation is for everyone. And then he attaches that phrase, who believes. The gospel. Is given to everyone. It's preached to everyone because it's sincere for everyone. Jesus died for them. But it's applied only to those who believe. And we have a quote from a uh, 18th and he died in the 19th century. Um, man from England. His name is J.C. Ryle. And he probably sums it up best. And he's speaking, this quote is from, he's speaking on John one twenty nine, which we read earlier. It said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's quoting on on that verse when he says, Christ is a Savior for all mankind. He did not suffer for only a few persons, but for all mankind. What Christ took away and bore on the cross was not the sin of certain people only, but the whole accumulated mass of all the sins of the children of Adam, so all of humanity. I hold as strongly as anyone that Christ's death, is profitable to none except for those who believe in his name. But I dare not limit and trim down such an expression as the one before us, that Jesus died to take away the sins of the world. I dare not confine the intention of redemption to the saints alone. Christ is for every man. The atonement was made for all the world, though it is applied and enjoyed by none but those who believe. And so, I mean, it's a great message that we can have, that we do have for the world, that there's hope for anyone. There's no one that is too good, that they don't need the gospel, and there's no one too bad that the gospel can't save. It's truly for everyone. So according to Paul, we see that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And it kind of sums up how Jesus can die for everyone. Paul does later in his letter to First Timothy from which we read earlier in First Timothy 4.10 it says God is the salvation of all mankind especially of those who believe. And so that verse, I mean it's it's kind of confusing to think about and it's a little weird but it sums it up best. Jesus is the Savior of all people but especially of those who believe especially of Christians. And so this is a full definition of the gospel but yet I mean it's wonderfully simple. It boils down kind of all of Christian doctrine into I mean, Paul kind of does it here in one verse. And it's it's easy to understand what he means here. There's no confusing language, there's no there's no like deep theological, I mean it's deep theological truth, but Paul puts it in a wonderfully simple way that all of us can understand and then all of us can preach to other people. Because Paul not only wants us to believe the gospel, and he wants us to have full confidence and never be ashamed of the gospel, he wants us to proclaim the gospel. So he puts it in in the easiest words possible, because not only have all of us, if you're a Christian, been changed by the gospel, but you have a responsibility to then go and proclaim the gospel to everyone else. Having a full understanding of what the gospel is and who it's for should bring a sense of urgency about salvation. And it should drive Christians to preach the gospel to anyone and everyone that they meet. There's a quote from a, a guy in church history that probably has one of the coolest names ever. If we're picking one of the coolest names ever, I'm submitting this one. And it's Ludwig von Zinzendorf. German guy. I mean, so, that's mine. I challenge you to beat it. But, he said, every heart with Christ is a missionary. And every heart without Christ is is a mission field. And then his kind of motto that lives on, it was what he built his life upon, he staked his life upon, was what he told his students, because he opened, in Germany he had a house, and he would open up to people to come in, and would kind of, it was like a house seminary type thing, he'd train them, and then he'd send them out for the gospel. And his phrase for them was, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Sobering message, but that's what he told all of his students. He was like, what you should want in this life, Is nothing else than to preach the gospel to as many people possible, die, and then be forgotten, because ultimately what you were preaching was not you, but Jesus. Even though he wasn't forgotten, because his quote lives on in many church history books, but we should kind of have that same urgency and that same motto that we can see in this guy, that every heart with Christ is a missionary, every heart without him is a mission field. And if that's how you look at people, if that's how you see people, if you look at people, you don't see someone that doesn't believe the gospel, you don't see someone that hates you, it it really does, it kind of, it gets rid of the possibility of you being bigoted or you being hateful to them because you don't see them as anything or anything other than a mission field. You see them as someone that needs Christ like you did at one point. But shame will enter our lives if we lose this urgency of salvation. So something that you kind of need to think about, I mean, this question we could ask could probably use as like a thermometer, as a, just a check of your life on how urgent you have salvation. If Christ, if the Lord answered all of your prayers, how many people would be saved today? Something that we all have to think about. Because while we do believe that the gospel is powerful and that there's nothing we can do to add to the gospel, God has chosen to give out the gospel through human effort. The gospel is not our own power, but we do have to proclaim it. And so if the Lord answered all your prayers, how many people would be saved today? And I know many of us, many times, I mean myself included, we don't preach the gospel because we're afraid of what that person will think about us, or we're afraid that they'll be mean to us, or that they'll hate us. But there's nothing more shameful than fearing an awkward conversation more than someone's eternal damnation eternal destiny. So why we should have zeal for the gospel and we should truly want the gospel to go out for everyone, this isn't an excuse to be untactful or abusive in the way that you do it. The gospel isn't a bigoted message, as we've seen it's for everyone, but the gospel is, as we started out with, an offensive message. The gospel not only has its own power, but it brings its own offense. And so there are good things to be ashamed of in this world. But the gospel is not one of them. We have zero reasons to be ashamed of the gospel. But we have infinite reasons to have confidence in it. And if you're a Christian, you should take this confidence and boldly proclaim the gospel to everyone and anyone that you meet in your life. And if you're not a Christian, hope so you take this message. You can understand that you don't have to find satisfaction in yourself. You don't need to have find your own righteousness, produce your own purpose in life before you come to Jesus, but you can look to Jesus, who is the only one who can save you from your problem, and so, as the mic is giving out, but we can pray that that's that's anything, that's the takeaway from this message, is where as the band comes up, and we're about to um, close prayer, and then have an invitation, I mean, that's probably the invitation, it's time we have it here, it's just time to do business with God, and so if you're a Christian, maybe you need to come here, maybe you need to, uh, you can pray with Myself or Matt will be down here, or you can come pray at the altar. And maybe you just need to confess that you have been ashamed of the gospel. You've let people's opinions of you taint your view of the gospel, and that instead of just boldly proclaiming it, you've been ashamed of it, and you cowered back. Maybe you need to come here and talk about that. If you want to join this church, maybe if you want to uh, bring your mission to spread the gospel to everyone, to Harwood Terrace, you can come talk to one of us about joining this church. And maybe you understand today that you've, You've never really understood what this gospel was before today. You've never you've never heard someone tell you. You've never understood that the gospel is for you, that there's nothing you've done, and that the, there's nothing that you have done that will negate the gospel being for you, and that there's nothing you can do on your own to earn the gospel. You can come talk to Matt or I. We'll be down here, but I'm going to pray to close us out, and then it's your guys' time to just do business with God.